0: All right, well, if you look up on the screen, that's going to be our passage for tonight, Matthew six twenty-four, just one verse, um, which is a little bit less than normal, but it carries a lot of weight, and so uh, here's a couple things for you guys. One, I know when we're playing Humans versus Zombies we can get kind of excited about that, so I'm going to ask you to like not text in to join while you're sitting here. Um, like at least pretend to listen to me so my phone's not like, beep, 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 so-and-so, join Humans versus Zombies. Um, and so I'm going to ask you that, right, and contain excitement. We're going to get there. Don't worry, some of you really love this game because you're creepy, and this game lets you be creepy, like legally. Like no one's going to accuse you of anything, and so it's great. The next thing is this is our last sermon series of the school year, and so this week and next week will be the last time that we preach on Wednesday nights uh, for the school year, and really the brunt of our teaching time after that will take place on Sunday mornings at 9.45 in those series, and so if you're like, hey, I want to continue to dive into the Word, I want to continue to learn and then that Sunday morning slot at 9.45, it looks a little bit different with small groups and stuff, but that's where the teaching takes place. Now, we don't just stop meeting. Stuff just doesn't stop happening on Wednesday nights. We just kind of change some things because we're gone a lot with camp and New Orleans and all this other stuff. Uh, So we transition that. Okay? Some of you, like, again, you're really excited about that. You're like, only two more weeks of listening to him. And then we get night of prayer, right? It's the best way to close out the school year. Uh, We enjoy it every year because you guys pack it out, and and it goes really, really well every year. A couple years when we first started doing it, we were like, we don't know how this is going to go, just letting them wander around into rooms and pray over different things, but it's really, really great every year, and so I hope that you're there with us for that, Uh, because it's the end of the school year, and some of you, we just get to see some faces that we haven't seen in a while because of practices and all kinds of other stuff, and this is kind of our last few weeks to kind of regroup um, and just re-dive into the Word before a crazy and hectic summer, so I'm glad you're here. But tonight, as we spend uh, the next two weeks in this series called Own It, we're closing out the semester talking about money, which for some of you, you're like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, because you're like, I'm broke, I don't have any money, or I just work like a part-time job, and so I don't have a lot of money, and so, um, but that's, That's not really how discussions on money works. Like, we don't just wait to talk about it until you have it um, or anything like that. And we're even going to go deeper than that and kind of pull a larger principle uh, than just how you handle your cash flow in the next couple weeks, okay? Because here's the thing. There is not a single topic in all the New Testament that is spoken about more than money, yet regularly as the church, we handle our relationship with money poorly, right? Like, the only time we talk about money is when things get really bad and we're like, hey, it's... We haven't talked about money in 17 and a half years, but now it's time to start giving it to the church. Right? Like, that's like the only time we talk about money. That's the only time we address it. And we're not even going to talk about that for the next two weeks. We're not even, this isn't like a desperate ploy for teenagers to start tithing. It's not that. It is simply this. We want to be able to work on our relationship with money that it will glorify God. We want to be able to b- develop some habits now um, that we would be able to handle money to the glory of God because here's the deal. You're going to be handling money for the rest of Of your life. And some of you maybe have been handling it for many, many years. I remember at an early age, I realized how important that sweet, sweet green paper was. Okay, so maybe you're in your house, you did the tooth fairy. I don't know if you're still losing teeth in sixth grade, and so if I'm about to just crush some dreams for you, I don't apologize. Uh, It's time to grow up, kids. This is the old world. but I remember my tooth fairy in the Malikian house was broke as a joke. Okay, when I lost a tooth, I'd like the next morning pull aside the pillow and I was like, whoo, $1. This is the best day ever. I'm going to run across the next soda machine I see and drink Coke because we don't have Coke in my house. Why? Because soda's expensive and we're broke as a joke. Okay, Like I was so stoked on that dollar. i lose tooth after tooth after tooth. And if I was a smart man, I could have saved up my dollars. So I had 20 or 30 eventually. Uh, but that's not how the world works, right? That, that just burns a hole in your pocket. And, and, but one night, and maybe this has happened to you, and maybe this is when your entire world came crashing down and all of the lies that your parents told you were about to be revealed. I went over to my friend's house. My friend's name was Mitchell Montavo. Okay, and Mitchell, we were at his house, and we're hanging out, and we're playing, and I had a loose tooth when I kind of went over that night, and when I had a loose tooth as a kid, I was, like, determined to get that out. Like, I went on, like, a strictly apples diet, like, hard foods that were just going to rip that thing right out of my head, like, tie it around, tie it to the doorknob, let's go, because that, I need to make some cash, okay? I know what's coming at the end of this tooth, and I lose my tooth at Mitchell's house, and I'm like, oh, I hope that tooth fairy's mobile, I hope that that is not just some secret in my house. I hope that she makes a visit. I hope that she can find me. And I go to bed, I put the tooth under the pillow, and I wake up the next morning. I move the pillow aside. My good friend, Abraham Lincoln, looked at me right back in the face. Five crisp dollars. And I was like, yes, five. Wait a minute did the Tooth Fairy get a better job? Like, is she just making it rain on all the houses around? It? I didn't understand. I remember I went home, and I was like, hey, mom, Ma- the Tooth Fairy brought me this. And she was like, because she realized, like, uh-oh, our Tooth Fairy's going to have to develop some wealth here pretty quickly, uh, or we're going to have to crush this kid's dreams and explain why like, that Tooth Fairy is richer no than our Tooth Fairy. Uh, but I remember very early on getting super excited anytime money was in my hands, right? I remember going to Christmas, and I had an uncle uh, that every, like, like I think it was like one year, he gave me and my siblings $100 bills, and we were like, we didn't even know that much money exists. Like, in my mind, I'm like, I can buy dad's house. Like, I can buy dad's house and kick him out. My rules. And then, like, every year, every year, I'd get so stoked for that Christmas. We'd be, like, sitting in the car, and I'd be like... What am I gonna buy? And my mom would be in the back, she's like, You don't know that that's gonna happen again, you don't know. And I'm like, Shh, you keep that negativity out of this car, woman. Like, we're, we're about to have $100. Like, I, I was just in my head, I was like, All of the things of my first car, I'm gonna buy my first car with this $100. Like, I'm like gonna be so excited. And so we realized very quickly at a young age how exciting money can be. And what we start to realize very quickly, is money is just a part of life. It's a part of life from a very young age, from the tooth fairy, when we're getting dollar bills or five dollar bills, or maybe your tooth fairy's slipping like crisp 20s under your pillow. I don't know what it is. Yeah, some people are like, I need that tooth fairy immediately. I, I think as an adult, I would start pulling my teeth out and maybe trying to go for more. Uh, but, but it's just a part of life. It's always going to be there whether you're a kid trying to get some extra cash and get some bubble gum in the the aisle at the grocery store that's just trying to sneak the last few pennies out of you before you walk out the door, or whether you're an adult and you're paying bills and a mortgage, or you're paying off your thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in college debt, or whatever it is, it's a part of everything that we do. We can't, escape it, and it hasn't changed since biblical times. That's why it speaks so much to it. That's why uh, it's so incredibly important. I remember in my house, as I'm starting to develop, right, the, the way that I think about money, I remember multiple times And I grew up, I didn't have a lot of money when I was younger, and I could even, I can drive Haley around Georgetown to the different houses that I lived at in Georgetown, and you can just kind of see how my dad started doing better at his job, and how he kind of moved into like different economic levels. Um, But I can remember multiple times in my childhood, uh, my dad sitting down and having conversations with me, and basically being like, hey, we're kind of short, so don't ask for anything. Uh, and I, so it began to develop in my head i'm not uh, i was not like my little sister or other kids that i meet they're like i don't care i'm still going to ask for everything like that's dumb you can't be that short on cash and so it started to develop this this thing inside of me that i just stopped asking for money. I would legitimately go to school uh, and I would run out my lunch tab and I would run out of lunch money. And so instead of going home and asking my dad for lunch money, I would just be like, well, I guess that part, that meal is done. I'm not gonna eat lunch for the next week because I I hated the anxiety that would build up just to go ask for lunch money, just to go to my father and be like, hey, feed me. And so I was running like 60 to 70 miles a week in high school off of one meal a day. So I just ate giant dinners. I would come home and my parents would be like, why did you eat the entire thing of casserole. I'm like, because I haven't eaten since last night's casserole. Like, I was just, oh. And, I, and as I started starting to get older, Right, I remember going to premarital counseling and they talked to you like the number one reason for divorce in America is because of financial struggles. Okay, and my wife's a public school teacher and I'm a youth minister, so we're like, buckle up for the ride, okay? And I remember going and talking and they're like, hey, we're gonna ha- you need to have a budget night every night. So you sit down every month and you say, here's how we're gonna spend our money in these places. And I'm one of those guys, I'm like, all right, Excel spreadsheet, we got it all laid out. And it took like one month of doing that and Haley hyperventilating on our couch for me to realize, this is not gonna work 12 times a year. Um, And so we just stopped doing budget night together and she just said you take care of it and I'll hope that we don't go bankrupt I was like deal because she had just started to develop these ideas It just stressed her out to even talk about money to be like hey We're gonna put all this money towards this and she's like we even have that much money I'm like well, you know, we got to work some things out. We got to pay rent or live in a box. I don't know which one you choose And So we just developed these attitudes about money and even now, today as we're married and we talk, and we'll, we'll be like, hey, one day we're going to do this. One day we're going to vacation. Haley really wants to go to the beach. I hate the beach because I hate sand. I'm pretty vocal about that. And she's like, next year let's go to Jamaica. And I'm like, Jamaica costs a lot of pesos. Okay? Like, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And all I could think about is we're making future plans. I'm like, we're going to have to start, like, Working for the grand mob, assuming there is one, Uh, that's not like a Facebook ad out for one, but we're going to start doing that, and we're going to start putting some money aside, right? We plan our futures based off of our financial well-being. Where are we going to be at in 5, 10, 20, 30 years, if I make it that long? And money is just a part of life. But but, but here's the deal. Almost any time we start talking about money, any time we start trusting about it, here's the deal. It can become life. It can become the way that we identify ourselves, the way that we communicate ourselves, the number one conversation we have around here. And here's the deal. You can do an entire summer as one person. If you want to go on every mission trip, not counting Haiti, if you want to go to camp, you want to go to 180, you want to do everything we do for less than $700. Which you're like, holy crap, that's still a lot of money. You can't go on one trip in the majority of churches in Graham for that much money. And so we sit there, and we sit down, and we go, okay, we're going to move all this around. We're going to make all this work, and we still, every conversation we have with you, we say, hey, are you going to go to this thing? Hey, you should really go to this thing. And the number one conversation we have every time is, I'm broke. And we go, okay, well, are, are you have you done these things to maybe work for some money? Blah, 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 blah. I'm broke. And I'm like, well, then where would you get your new Apple Watch? I'm confused. I don't understand. Uh, and then you're like, well, I can't, I can't do it. We go, okay, well, you go to First Baptist. Every year, we tell you, hey. We can make it happen. We can make it happen. We can make it happen. But what you really want to do, and we don't say this in the one-on-one conversation, but what you really want to do is make sure that the other person knows how broke you are. Because you've identified as that. And some of you, because you maybe come from families of money or maybe even just a little bit of money, but the way that you play the game, the way that it becomes a part of your life, is you can measure up every person based off how much money that their parents make, how much money your parents make, and you think that you're better than other people. Or you think that you're worse than other people because you don't have as much money or you think that you can do more because you do have as much money or that you can do less because you don't have as much money. And so you play this comparison game as you walk through your high school of where people live in Graham or what they do how much money they have and you begin to play the game of identifying yourself as somebody else and starting to build the structure of someone else based off of their financial well-being and not even theirs, their parents. Because let me tell you something, you're all broke. Because you're all between 12 and 18, you do not work full-time jobs, they get salary pay, okay? <laughs> That's just the way it is. And so even before you've ever gotten your first real paycheck, it has become your life. It has become the way you identify, it has become your well-being. I know, because every year when we start to get ready for stuff, Every time we talk to kids and they go, well, I go to work this summer instead of going to this. Or I go to work that weekend and go to that. And I'm like, I can't wait till you're 34 and you look back on 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. The only years of fun that God has gifted you. And you go, it was really great. I was working the checkout line at United. And everybody else is going to go, it was so awesome. We had fun with our lives because you were working for an extra $40 that weekend. You go, man, Lane, you're a giant jerk. <laughs> I don't claim to be anything else. You've made it a holistic part of your life. It is everything that you live by. It, it is the only conversations we have of why you can or cannot do anything. It is your decision maker. So as we look in Matthew 6, Jesus talking, and uh, he's really preaching to a, a giant group of people, uh, and he's beginning to share all these things. He begins to talk about adultery, uh, and if, you, if mine's like a page back, he begins to talk about uh, adultery, giving, love for enemies, an eye for an eye, fasting. He really just covers the gamut on Christian living. He's really pouring into it, and he gets to verse 24, and he says this, no one can serve two masters. Either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And here's what we want to talk about today. Money makes a poor master. Money makes a poor master because here's the deal. Money is a part of life. At times in life, it can break you Fie financially. At times you may be in desperate need of it later on in the future, and at times you may have an abundance of it. Some of you may be incredibly successful one day, and you're just like, money is no object. I blow my nose with a box of dollar bills. Like, I don't know. In which case, I hope that we're friends. You attend my church. Um, but, but, But some of you may live paycheck to paycheck for the rest of your life. And here's what Jesus wants to talk about. Who is master over your soul? We say, well, what is a master? A master rules every area of your life. They rule over it. They lord over it. Every decision that you make, and you can be thinking now, is every decision that I make Based off of whether I can financially afford to do so or whether I identify with a certain group of financially capable people. And here's the deal: I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not, don't get what I'm not saying. I need this much money to do that thing, and I don't think the Lord wants to get in my way, so I'm gonna rob a bank and we're gonna do that thing. Like, that's not that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, as decision making goes. How do you identify what is the first obstacle that you get to? What is the thing that lords over your life? Because here is the deal. (laughs) As believers, as followers of Jesus, if you say you are saved, I have put my faith in Jesus, I believe in the death and resurrection, I believe that I will be in heaven one day on the other side of eternity, I am a child of God, you can have but only one Lord. And here's the deal. This is probably a better discussion for many of your parents because I'm making eye contact with a lot of the adults in the room and they're like, oh, dang it. (laughs) And we struggle with this heavily in our marriage of a game of comparison. Maybe I'm speaking on behalf of my wife on this one, but for me personally, just playing the game of, well, I want this and these other people have this and I should have this. Or one day I want this, but I don't think I'll ever be financially capable of it. And money begins to build up lordship in my life. It begins to tell me what I can and cannot do. It begins to tell me what I should and should not do. And it becomes the number one decision maker of all things, which is a dangerous thing in ministry. But as believers, only Jesus can be Lord. It says very clearly, you will either love one and hate the other. You can't be torn. It will literally tear your soul apart to try and serve both because they conflict. And we'll see in a little bit what, why exactly that is. But what you need to know is when money is fighting for your soul and the Lord is fighting on the other end, it, you will be torn apart every time. And not because money is to buy extravagant things and, and to build up all this stuff and then live this nice life. It's really for what the purpose of money will be for, which we'll talk about a little bit this week and majority of next week. And no, again, it is not to give it all to the church. But, but it serves a purpose in your life. As someone who says, I have freedom in Christ, you have the freedom to do things with money. It does not hold you down. It does not hold weight or lordship in your life because it makes a poor master. Because here's the deal, when you said, I'm a follower of Jesus, I believe in Jesus, what you did was you gave mastership, you gave lordship to Jesus. And we don't like to talk about being bought by Christ, but we were. Those of us that are followers of Jesus, he bought you. The price being his life. He bought you to make you his, not to be a poor master, but to be a great one, to give you freedoms, to give you gifts, to give you full life, to give you joy, to give you peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. That's a good master. If we say, oh, wait, that's the mastership that has in store, then I'll sign up for that. But when money becomes a master, when currency becomes a master, here's the deal. All it wants to do is take and take, and take, and take, and take. Because you'll never be good enough, you'll never be rich enough, you'll never have enough stuff. You'll play the comparison game for the rest of your life because money is a poor master. Jesus bought you so nothing else can own you. Nothing else can have lordship. There's no room for it. And it will conflict simply because of this. When we talk about having freedom in Christ, we have the freedom to not be owned by anything, which means we have the freedom to give. When Christ buys you, when Christ calls you to himself, he is calling you to give it all away. Not just to the church, but to people. The reason some of you, when you say, hey, I can't go to camp, I can't afford it. Do you know why you then get to go to camp? Because someone gave. And some of you lack appreciation for that. Because we'll talk later and you're like, yeah, I rigged this system. Someone paid for me to go to camp. Guess who's not going to camp this year? When Jesus buys us, it means that nothing else can give us any other label other than His. He is Master he is Lord and he will call us to give and he will call us to serve and he will call us to be free from the guilt and the shame that comes with never being financially capable enough or living up to a certain economic status. Because he's a good master. Jesus? No. (laughs) because he's a good master. So one, some of you need to start thinking about, man, what is the role that money plays in my life? It's very easy. It's very easy to say money has no lordship over me until it's taken away. It's very easy to say that money has no mastery over me until pressed to do something with it that does not fit your agenda, but fits the agenda of the Lord. In Mark chapter 10, maybe you know the story of the rich man, the rich young ruler who comes to the Lord and says, I've obeyed all the commandments. How must I get into heaven? And he tells him to give away all of his belongings. Here's a man that probably thought nothing of the amount of stuff that he has or the lordship that he had over him. And Jesus says, give it all away. And he turns and walks the other way from the forgiver of sins. Let me tell you something that would probably be like 90% of us. Because that's a hard-pressed thing. We look at Acts chapter 2, and we see that the first thing that the church does to take care of one another is they give all their belongings to a big pot, and they separate as needed. We see Paul going from church to church in his missionary journey and churches giving all that they have for other churches of people that they will never meet and Paul is carrying loads of currency traveling which is dangerous because people like rob people that are just carrying around chests of stuff and he goes from church to church because they need it financially because there's a reason to advance the gospel. Money has no mastery over those kind of people. And when the rich young ruler walks away and he turns away from Jesus, the disciples are shocked because they're like, they just asked that dude to give, he just asked him to give everything he has. I hope I am not next. And the disciples, like, remind Jesus. They're they're, they're concerned about their place in heaven, and they go, hey, we left our families, we left everything to come and follow you, and Jesus reminds them, you have a place with me one day. what Jesus is getting at, and for most of us, it, it is money, but whatever that most important thing in your life is that's keeping you from following Jesus, and no, he may not be asking you to walk away from everything. Maybe he is, but that thing then has a lordship over your life. Learn to give it up. See, what I really want to get to tonight is this. This passage is about money, but the important part is that no man can serve two masters. And we each have conflicting masters. One day, the more money that you have, right? More money, more problems. The more that it will probably become a master over your life. But now, maybe it's time. Maybe it's your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Maybe it's your mommy and daddy. Maybe it's not technical money in your wallet, but just the things that you have that give you importance. Maybe it's your accomplishments. Maybe you're like, oh, I'm all district this, or I've got all A's, or I'm National Honor Society, or I'm this, so I'm important. Guess what? No one's going to care about those things like as soon as you graduate high school. But your accomplishments, your agenda, all those things, it's likely they're Lord. It's likely that they define you. And so you can go ahead and just look up on the screen and and insert whatever it is that you struggle with and say, that makes a poor master. And what we want is this. Own your money. Own your thing. Own what we're going to call your currency, the thing that you don't want to let go. Don't let it own you. Own it. Don't let it own you. And we're going to talk about next week how you tangibly do that. How do you own that thing? How do you gain mastery over that thing? But more importantly, how you let Christ get mastery in your life. You're fighting a battle every day between flesh and spirit. And for many of us in our spirits, we have so much confrontation and confliction because we go, I want the Lord to have mastery in my life. We want him to have lordship in my life. We want him to lead in our life. But every other piece of it feels like we have another Lord. Whether that be sports, money, economic status, whatever it is. And as the church, we are to be the example of those that have been bought by Christ with a price. And we don't look at that and go, That's, I don't, I don't want to be bought by anything. I don't want to be owned by anything. I'm okay with being owned by God, the creator of the universe, who paid the price of the death of his son for me. Like, I'm, I'm okay with that. Because if someone were to put a price to my name and they say, it's going to take the death of God in the flesh. Like, I'm okay that that's the price. They're not like, eh, five bucks. Like, that's a price I'm okay with. And that's a lordship I'm okay with because while every other lordship in this life will take and take and take and you know it. Because you'll never be good enough. There will always be someone better. You'll never have enough. When Jesus is Lord he says, you are enough. You are mine. And so everything else you can give away. Everything else you can serve till you pass out. Everything else is secondary because I am primary. That's the relationship with money that we want. That's the relationship with money that we want. That says, hey, this thing is great because it puts food on my table. It puts a roof over my head. Right? Like I'm very thankful for a paycheck uh, because... I get to live in a home. But at the end of the day, if it is going to make or break me, if, as statistics would tell us, it is going to make or break my marriage, then it has lordship in my life and it has no room there. If, at the end of the day, it's going to make your decisions for you in college, in post grad, in your jobs, And what you do to follow Jesus and how you help people and how you serve people if your economic status or your financial well-being is going to determine that then it has lordship in your life and that needs to be killed. Because even the widow who had nothing gave everything. Everything. Because in her heart money had no lordship over her. And so tonight, what you need to ask yourself, many of you, what is your currency? What is your currency? What is the thing that defines you? What will help you kind of figure out what your currency is? What helps you make decisions? For some of you, it's time. Time is your currency. I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do that. I don't have time to study the Word of God. I don't have time to spend time in prayer because I've got this practice and this practice and this club team and this club team. Congratulations, sports has lordship in your life. I don't have time because I went on 17 dates last week with my girlfriend of that week. Congratulations, your relationship has lordship in your life, it is your currency. I don't have time because I was with my friends doing this, and I was hanging out, and my social life is so crazy. Lane. you'll never understand how busy I am in high school, even though you were in high school seven years ago. That is your currency. And you need to find it. You need to start spending some time in prayer and going to the Lord and saying, hey, I've got another master, and I don't want it anymore. Because it's going to slowly kill me inside There's a battle for my soul, and right now, God, you are not winning. And beg God to fight for you. Beg God that you would fight with him, that he would get lordship over your soul. If you're like, man, I have no idea who this Jesus is. Tonight, give him lordship in your life. Put your faith in. In him that he would become Lord because he is a better master than money, than status, and popularity, than whoever you're dating, than your mom and dad, than your best friends, than your brother and your sister. He is a way, 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 way better Lord because the price that he put on your life was the life of his son. And that's a price that can't be beat. If the creator of the universe and the creator of you, wants to buy you with the life of his son, then it is worth it. So as our band comes up, I'll tell one last story. A moment that I found while I had lordship in my life, which there have been multiple times that different things have had lordship in my life. Sometimes it's two I was dating. There were times in dating Haley that we had the discussion, hey, I think you might have lordship over my life more than God does. <laughs> At times it was sports, I went to a what would now be a 6A high school. We were a good team. I wanted to go to college, and so it got lordship. At no time was it ever grades. That never had lordship. That never came in my head at all. But what has frequently become a lord in my life has been financial status and economic gain, and I realized it real young. Like I said, I could drive to one house that we first moved into in Georgetown. It's small. Now, i say this one. it was a four-bedroom house, which you're like, well, how can a four-bedroom house be small? Because it was like a living room and like a room, 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 room. And it was the smallest house we ever lived in growing up. And then we moved into a bigger house. And then we moved into a golf course community, which is like our family's dream. And my dad, for my entire life, preached economic gain in my life, which means he lost because I'm a youth minister. And I remember, I remember going to college. And going, hey, dad, I want to go into youth ministry. You go, that's great. Go get a business degree just in case that falls through. Right? Like he was already like, "Eh, get a degree for a real job just in case. I was like, I remember sitting down with my dad and saying, hey, I think that if God is calling me to youth ministry, then he will take care of me financially. So I'm not going to go that route. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to base my life off of that. And there was one time that I had victory, but I remember being a kid in junior high and homecoming. You guys have it, right? Giant flowers and ribbons that girls are tripping over and bells are ringing as they walk around. Bing 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 bling. And I remember the one and only time that I took a girl to homecoming because I always after this was like made a point, do not date anybody during homecoming because that thing is expensive. I remember this was a time when my family didn't have a lot of money, and I was in middle school, and me and my awesome middle school girlfriend were going to go homecoming together, and my mom saw the prices of moms, which are like, you've got to put like a second mortgage on your home to buy those things. If you don't know, girls, you're wearing like something that's worth like a couple hundred dollars that you're going to throw in the trash later. Um, and I remember going to my mom and being like, hey, i got to get a mom for this girl. And she was like, oh my gosh, take me now, Jesus. And she, we, we go, and she goes, okay, I, I, you know what? That looks pretty simple. I can make one, and she makes this extravagant thing. And this is like before Pinterest, so this is like all creative mind. Okay, she got to do it on her own. And and I go I give it to this girl, and she loves it. No complaint all night. Wears it. I got my little garter on that we have to like staple shut because my arms are really small. That's that's true story. That's for real. Um, And we're walking around junior high kids at homecoming. And I remember going around and seeing all these other girls with these giant, like, just their entire torso has gone missing. And I'm like, oh, man. They got, like, literally, like, large teddy bears on them, like, all kinds of stuff. It was ridiculous. And I remember going home to my mom, who was putting sweat and, like, blood into this thing. And I remember going oh, man, Mom, you should have seen all of the other ones. They were so cool. They were so great. And I basically ripped inside of her chest and tore her heart out and stomped all over it. And I remember going to my room and my dad coming in and closing the door, which is never good because it means he's about to hide my dead body. And he goes, hey, man, you broke that woman's heart. And I didn't feel guilty for much. Through all of junior high and high school. I was a pretty terrible kid. Uh, but I remember f- the first time feeling awful about myself because I had put how people portrayed my family and myself financially above the feelings of my mother as awful. And when something becomes lordship in your life, you begin to put that thing in front of your relationship with all other people. You begin to sacrifice your relationships in the way that you treat people and the way that you love people and the way that you serve people when it becomes lordship. And then when God convicts us, it will be painful. And so tonight, find out what your currency is so you can begin to take the steps to kill that in your life, that Jesus would be the only Lord of your life. For the rest of you, man, if you don't know Jesus, tonight this is your chance to make him Lord. And to begin to fight that battle with him every day as he contends for lordship in your life. The band is going to lead us in worship. Adults are around. I'll be over here if you need someone to talk to. If you want to know about Jesus or anything else at all. If you need someone to pray with you, you can come find us. Love you guys.